0: Okay. Too much horror business. Driving late at night. Psycho seventy eight. Twelve o'clock. Don't be late.
1: I said all this horror business. Reading citations My name is Justin Lore.
0: And I'm Liam O'Donnell.
1: And you're listening to episode 145 of Horror Business. It's our Christmas episode.
0: Yeah, Christmas. Yes, Merry Crim, Merry Crisis. Deck the halls with stuff and stuff. Booby, booby, boob. doo 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 poop. Set
1: the house on fire with everyone inside. Rah 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 rah.
0: Yummy eggnog. Uh. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do, have, I do have two containers of, um, oh, what, what is it called? It's like some almond nog. It's an almond-based nog. Mm, mm. And I also helped make my grandfather's uh, world-famous nog which will kill a horse if you drink too much of it. It will give you alcohol poisoning.
0: Because he mm. decided
1: on a whim to add more alcohol to it. Like, for years, it's been rum, rum Irish whiskey, And brandy, and this year he was like, "Let's add bourbon and see what happens." And I was like, "Fuck it, let's add bourbon and see what happens, pappy."
0: I don't, I don't understand the whole, the like, um, uh, like you know the 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 relationship to alcohol. That's like the kid at the soda fountain where you just put all the sodas in. That seems like a bad. Like, just have more of the one alcohol. Why do you need to mix them all? I don't understand. I guess because look, we're not drinkers there
1: is a chance we're missing something, maybe the taste of it, but I just think the alcohol kind of just fucking overpowers everything.
0: You know, me and my friends, here's a little holiday story for the listeners. I don't, I don't think I've told this before, but when I was in high school, me and my friends, uh, we started a tradition of going to the Mummers Parade, and specifically sneaking into the stands where you're not supposed to go unless you have tickets. But if you went later in the day, a lot of times the people who are supposed to be looking at your tickets are so drunk that they were not checking the tickets, which I-
1: They're all beating their partners.
0: I don't know that that's the case anymore. I don't know that it's that bad anymore. But when I was a kid, it was like crazy. And so we started going in high school and, and college, specifically because you would see these rich people just beat the shit out of each other. Like just be, like we saw these two women both in these stupid fur coats, like comedy gag fur coats. Just attack each other because one of them bumped into the other one, and it was it. it was so insane. We just loved it. But I remember there was one guy. He was supposed to be checking people's badges or tickets or whatever, and he wasn't. He was just standing there drinking, and he had a carton of uh, alcoholic eggnog, right? And he was just drinking it. And we were just like, "Fuck, man! How can you drink that much booze eggnog? That just sounds crazy." And when he finally finished it, he just dropped it next to him on the ground and then he reached into his don't don't besmirch my city and he reached into his jacket and he pulled out an unopened bottle of peach schnapps my, again Philadelphia started drinking that John he finished it and dropped that bottle and pulled another fucking thing out of his coat and this was some other like I don't know fucking Irish cream or something it was all these fucking sweet ass things and he's just knocking him back, and this dude, besides the fact that he was, you know, an older gentleman, I say older. He's probably only a little bit older than I am now, but he looked like an old fucking man to me. Uh, but he had, like, one of those noses that you see in the cartoons, you know? The, oh, like the, the... The red, red, red nose. It was Yeah, the crazy. fucking, the Jim blossoms. <laughs> yeah. It was, oh, man. I just, me and my friend were sitting there, I was probably like 18 at the time, and we just couldn't understand what we were seeing. Like, I'd never seen this sort of dedication to public drunkenness in my life. It was, it was out of control. So anyways, I don't know. That, that story probably wasn't interesting to anyone. But to me, it's one of those moments where I thought, oh, humans are awful. Like, this dude is going to die here on the side. And, like, we were keeping an eye on this guy at first because he's the one who's supposed to be kicking us out because we're not rich people who paid whatever $100 to sit and watch the Mummers Parade in the good part. We were just random punks who had just snuck in. It was very weird. It was like a weird day. But we did that. That was a good five years of us sneaking in and watching rich people get drunk and fight each other.
1: I can respect that. And speaking of rich people getting drunk and fighting each other, we're covering 1972's American slasher film, Silent Night, Bloody Night, and 1995's Spanish-Italian comedy har- Oh, they did list this as a comedy. Okay, good. Uh, comedy horror film, El Dio de la Bestia which translates to the day of the beast. I fucking love that movie. I love both these movies.
0: That makes me very happy. I we mean, so y'all <clears throat> The goal in this besides it being a holiday episode we wanted to cover Christmas movies is I wanted to do two movies that I don't see a lot of people talk about when it comes to Christmas specifically, right? And I've seen a few people post about Silent Night Bloody Night, but I think it gets overshadowed of course by Silent Night Deadly Night, right? And I don't see a lot of people talk about it. And I knew that, you know, one one of my loves, Mary Warrenoff, is in that, you know. And she's a, you know, she's like an icon. But I don't see a lot of people talk about that movie. And then Day of the Beast, I know a lot of people love that movie, but people don't focus on how Christmas it is, right? Yeah. But it's very much a Christmas horror movie, even though it is also a comedy, you know. Yeah. That was really the theme. It's our holiday episode, and I didn't want to just do another... Sequels to other Christmas horror movies that I like better than the sequels that we're watching. You know what I mean, like
1: yeah, like Silent Night, Deadly Night two,
0: or three, or four. Didn't we cover three and four on one episode? I think
1: we did two and three. Ah, okay.
0: Bad, all bad.
1: Yeah, not good. No. Anywho, before we cover these delicious Yuletide. Uh, Slasher Johns, we would like to thank a few people. First amongst them are our Patreons over on Patreon. Our patrons over on Patreon.com um, If you would like to throw us some Monet and, and, and keep the lights on you can head to www.patreon.com backslash Um It's greatly appreciated. Uh, any bit helps. And yeah, so if you hear this and you feel so inclined to do so uh again, that's patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. We'd also like to thank the Lehigh Valley's Premier Screen Printing Company. Um Chris Reject is a crazy person. Mm-hmm. Uh I am supposed to be at a pizza party of his right now, but I'm not, because I'm doing this. And because he can go fuck himself. Um <laughs> all those things aside, <sighs> completely irrelevant to the to the quality of the work that his 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 that, that, that he puts out. Sure. You would be hard-pressed to find another screen printer in the greater Lehigh Valley area, if not Pennsylvania, tri-state, quarter, quattro-state area. I'm going all out. If you are a pro wrestler, if you are a podcaster, if you are in a punk rock band, you need to head to www.xlvacx.com and get your shit printed by people who know what they're fucking doing. Mm-hmm. I, I know the people there. I know the stress they go through to live up to the insane standards that chris imposes upon them they're all not well they're all lunatics who are doing this at the cost of their own health so make their early declines worth it and head to www.xlvacx.com today
0: we also want to thank our friends over at essex coffee roasters our buddy Aaron dalbeck uh you know Aaron gets these high-quality beans from all over the world. He's He's got his eye on the markets. He's getting what he can get. We don't want to know what he
1: does to get these beans.
0: I mean, it's got to be illegal, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and then he is roasting them to order, which means you're getting the freshest possible coffee shipped to you. Not only that, he uh, will make the effort to talk to you about how you are preparing this coffee, what you're... Brew method is he's got high quality teas available. He's also got high quality T-shirts available mm-hmm. all at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. When you're there, let's say you pick up, I don't know, let's say a Finca, you know, maybe you got that uh, El Salvador going on, you got some mm-hmm. Mexico, whatever it is that you're, you got going on. Maybe you'll add some, some tea with that, you know, some chamomile or uh, whatever. Pick up a T-shirt, whatever it is. On your way out, you're going to put in C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. That's, that's going to get nice. you 10% off your order. Cinepunks, that's what it is. It's
1: a good it mnemonic says. device. It's it's a good, a good mnemonic device to remember what to put in there is to spell it out.
0: Yeah, sure. That works. <laughs> yeah, before you go, put it in. Put it in. Spell it out. Um Yeah, so thanks, uh, Aaron, for uh, his support. And check it out, com. Of course, we also want to thank our buddy Sharky. He's the best. We love you, Sharky. Sharky edits this show and um, does, you know, masters the audio, and he's just a great friend to have. Um, we I really think, love you. I,
1: I think me and Sharky are like right on the brink of planning, like, like a, like a, like a, like a guys, like, a, like, like a, like a wild getaway in Alaska together. Because we've been talking a lot about Alaska recently, and I think me and him are like really close to like making a plane, like a plane to go up there, and the plane's gonna crash, and we have to like fight a bear and like a moose and we stumble upon like a drug deal and we have to fight our way out of that none of that's going to happen but me and will talk about going to alaska together a lot
0: what movie is that i, I couldn't put my uh, finger
1: that was a combination of the edge starring alec um anthony hopkins and alec baldwin the and, edge and loosely elements of on deadly ground starring steven seagal and dennis hopper
0: yeah, I was only thinking about the edge, yeah. and then I was thinking that doesn't work because isn't the edge also about like infidelity or something awkward like that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, Sharky would be cheating on his partner with the with the Alaskan wilderness.
0: Mm, I think if 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 the other if the other partner is the Alaskan wilderness, then they could be in a thruple because I think I think uh, Amanda's down. I think that's, I think they could all be together and be very happy in the Alaskan wilderness. There's awesome. room.
1: There's room. Okay. uh,
0: Also, check out RuffCutPainClub.com. All right. That's everything. We're done.
1: Did you not just do a a Christmas release?
0: You know, we did a release a while ago, and people might be wondering why we did it so early. That was so we could ship them out to people and they get them by Christmas. So we did that, and we shipped them out. The leftovers from that release are now up. And I cannot guarantee you will get them by Christmas now, right? That was the point of the pre-order was to be like, hey, let's get people their shirts by Christmas. That's not a thing anymore, but I will try to get to it as soon as I can. And it might get to you before Christmas. Unless, you know, if you live in another country, come on, get get serious. You know, international. First of all, you've had
1: your fucking chance to get it by Christmas. So don't fucking come at Liam for your bullshit. It's your fault.
0: I was going to be less hostile than that, but that is true. I, we def, we definitely sometimes have people who just want it to arrive immediately. It's like, that's not going to work. But so the one shirt is uh, Tokyo Godfathers, which, by the way, we're covering on uh, the Christmas episode of Cinema Smorgasbord. And uh, the other one is the uh, Garfield holiday special. Uh, and I like it, what Justin did with it, because it specifically got some of the other sort of uh, things that would have been on TV at that time. It's like based off like a TV guide ad or whatever, so. Anyway, check it out rufkafanclub.com.
1: Now, before we go any further, comes the time when I I wander into Liam's basement record store and Liam's listening to uh, Obituary, I don't know, Mayhem, something evil, and I'm like going through and I'm like he hands me a, he he hands me a piece of paper recommending Napalm Des, And I'm like, "Okay, cool." I need, <laughs> more, I need more evil shit, though. And I'm going through, and there's like a Morbid Angel record. He comes over, and before he hands me an LP by what I hope is a real band, I look at him and I say, what have you done involving... In Spanish, I say, what have you done involving Haw recently?
0: I appreciate that. I appreciate it being in Spanish. <laughs> <clears throat> so, um, uh, you know what? Let's revisit something briefly. I decided, based upon the fact that a lot of people had sort of mixed opinions about it that I knew. I'd say the online consensus is pretty solid actually, but um because it was somewhat mixed among people that I was friends with, I decided to give some time to uh the uh Onyx the Fortuitous movie, which okay. we just talked about in the last episode. Yes, and I gotta say, I kind of liked it actually. I think it helps that I like this dude and I like the character. So okay. I think I was a little less going to be annoyed. I think it also helps that I, I need to come up with an actual genre term for this because I've talked about it on Cinepunks and I've talked about it on here. There's a certain kind of movie that just feels like the kind of movie that um, plays at a festival at like midnight. And if you've been at this film festival all day, and then you go to this late night screening and you know, it's not like great, but it's still kind of fun. You know, it's like, yeah. you're going to forget about it. But in the moment, it's kind of a good time. That's what this felt like. It reminded me of movies like, I don't know, like the FP maybe, or uh turbo kid. You know what I'm talking about? Like these yeah. kind of like, they're, they're not amazing, but there's something like kind of goofy and fun about them. For me, that's what this was. Um, I do think if anyone hasn't seen it yet, you're trying to decide like, well, Justin wasn't really into it, but Liam seems into it. If you find this guy annoying at all, don't see this fucking movie. It's so, this is what I think this is part of the mistake here is that while I do like that character a lot, they don't give the other characters enough of a, like a a lived in sense. So like, if you don't like this dude, I don't know that there's a lot here for you. Like there's
1: no, there's. There's nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah. like I, I you know, I, there, are, there are other funny bits from some of the other characters. And I did like things about them. But the whole thing is, a, it's a vanity piece, really. Which, it's hard to do a vanity piece for a character where the whole point of the character is that he sucks. And I got to say, I saw, I've seen a couple people now suggest that maybe Onyx is not a great character because he's making fun of autistic people. I don't know. I think I maybe said that last time we talked about this. I have no idea if that's true. I don't know enough about that to know. So if that's the case that he's actually a, a mean joke, then I renounce this opinion and I think the movie sucks. But as of now, I just think he's a weird character that I find kind of fun and funny. Uh, and thus I've enjoyed the movie overall. But would I have been happy if I'd paid money to see it in the theater? I don't know. I might've been a little disappointed. You know what I mean? Like, I think it was fine and I had kind of fun with it. And I'm glad that this dude did something. But now that he's made a movie, I would like to see him do something that isn't this character, if that makes sense. Because I think for the budget level and for the fact that, like, there's not a ton here script wise, the fact that this felt at all like a real movie kind of makes me think he could do a good job with something that wasn't this dumb idea. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's a possibility of something better coming out of this dude and i'm more excited about that than i am about the onyx movie uh but i will say the puppet work in it was pretty unbelievable
1: uh the puppet work was terrifying
0: it was so good i mean i i forget this the dude's name but uh sharky knows the the guy who did the work on this movie it's just amazing and we tried to get him on the show on cinepunks it didn't really work out but um it's just great i'm really glad that i i gave it a chance because i think i was because I wanted it to be good, I think I was worried that it was going to automatically disappoint me. Um, and, you know, I guess at some level I am a little disappointed in that I wanted to be blown away by it. Like that's what I wanted was to be like, Oh my God, it's so good. It's not that it's not that, but maybe because I know you were kind of iffy on it. Adriana, like really hated it. Some other people I read reviews were kind of like, well, what the fuck? Like just really not stoked on it. Maybe that prepped me to be a little more positive about it. But, uh, but I don't know. I, I, I liked it overall with only a few moments here and there. And I was like, I think it helps, too, that like some of the dumbest jokes in it really worked for me, which really makes me think I have a much stupider sense of humor than I realized. But like the outrage when he finds out that he's the virgin and that the picture is literally a picture of him. That shouldn't be funny, but I thought it was funny.
1: Yeah, no, there's there's. It's a joke you see coming from a mile away, too.
0: Oh, totally. It's, it's still like, oh, I get it. The joke itself is kind of funny, but the addition of the picture of him, which is, I, made me laugh, and then his, like, insistence on his outrage. Like, if he had had just like a like a vague acceptance, like, well, I guess that's, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's just something about how fucking incensed he is where you're like, bro, that literally is you. Like, what are we talking about here? That, like, something about that really tickled me. Anyways, we'll move on. The part
1: that. The, the, I was going to say the part that got me was when the guys like trying to translate the prophecy and he can't get the one word and he's like it's I don't know if it's like like moral or upright and he's basically saying every like synonym for fortuitous that he can think of. Uh-huh. And Onyx is sitting there like, "Well, it's not not me." Like <laughs> I was just like that was well executed.
0: Yeah, they're... There are a lot of little knowing things like that that I'm sure probably get on people's nerves a little bit, but yeah, I, I liked. Um, yeah, it was charming to me. Uh, a movie that was not so much charming as amazing and made me feel fear and cry tears of uh, emotion was another movie I saw. This one in the theater, uh, Godzilla minus one. Justin, did you see might, this movie?
1: Yes, I did. Might, what be did be my, you think? My, might be my number one movie of the year.
0: Whoa. Yeah. It's in my top five, which is a, a lot to say for a Godzilla movie, period, right? No. <sighs> well, I just I, I didn't mean
1: to step, step on your toes. What were you saying?
0: Uh, I said it, it might be in my top five, which I think is actually a lot to say for a Godzilla movie. Because I feel like a lot of Godzilla movies have such a possibility of being awful. And then some of the ones that I even like are just kind of okay. And this was like really fucking good. Tell tell us about what you thought about this movie.
1: Okay, so little known fact: I am, I am somewhat of a Godzilla fanatic. Uh, my beliefs are a little unorthodox, as I don't really care for much of the Showa era, aside from maybe the fir- from absolutely the first one, and maybe the second one. Everything else, I think, is like it's fine, but it's not this like, like to me, the first movie is such a fucking moment in filmmaking and like social commentary that like i think it often gets like overlooked because it's like uh, uh, the, the the monster the, the japanese people it's like a fucking joke but it's like i have long held that the scariest theatrical experience must have been opening night of that movie when it came out in japan and seeing it for the first time and just being like what the fuck like seeing tokyo in flames seeing this fucking mo- like and not knowing like like what you're getting like I don't know. There's just something about that, that like every time I watch this movie, I put myself in that place and it just fucking, it just, I I, I get it. Now, that being said, I have also long held that Godzilla as a concept is at its best when Godzilla is at its most unknowable. Like, I like the legendary films, like the new ones that come out. I I, I actually watched Godzilla vs. Kong last night and I was like, I forgot how much I fucking love this movie. Um, But, I think if you make Godzilla this, like, kind of like quasi benevolent guardian, it kind of takes away from what makes the character so magical. And I think Godzilla's at its best when he's just this thing that comes out of the ocean and just leaves fucking mayhem and ruin in its wake. And society is left to be like, what the fuck was that? Like, there's no malevolence there. There's just like an indifference. That's what I think was so great about Shin Godzilla. Aside from the first movie, though, No movie has really come close to the fucking, the scope and like the, like, awe-inspiring sense of just like, holy shit, than this movie did. The scene when he first unleashes his atomic breath and he's just standing there, like, gazing over the fucking ruined city, my fucking jaw was on the floor. That was such an amazing moment. And there's so many scenes in this movie where it's like, I don't think I've ever seen Godzilla as this like that's where it's been betrayed, as such like a fucking powerful thing, that when it puts its gaze upon you, you just feel insignificant, and I think this movie just did an amazing job at that. And plus, that scene at the end with the fucking where we find out what the what the what the what the the pilot designer whispered to the pilot.
0: Like yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. It's still. I'm not gonna spoil anything. But
1: yeah, that was like that was like one of the most. powerful mo- moments in film i've ever seen like that was because it, it speaks to like it's a brilliant commentary upon not just like you know everyone's always like oh um you know it's about like the americans and how americans treated japan and then japan did that thing with uh, giant monsters all at attack where they were like no it's actually godzilla's fueled by the victims of japan's war crimes and this was just a commentary upon like it doesn't matter who's waging war war is fucking awful and there's no value in dying for the emperor, for, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's like, it's better to live. And I just, I really, I really appreciate that. The the commentary upon like how cheap human life is in times of war. And it's oftentimes dressed up as like being full of valor and being full of like glory. And it's like, no, you're just, you're cheapening what is best about people and you're reducing it to like a to men. That's, that's never good.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's literally a deconstruction of the notion of sacrifice, which is difficult in in Japan right because that was yes, such yeah. a, a motivating cultural idea both in the imperial era but even after just as an idea of this is what matters is your willingness to sacrifice yourself or and i think more often sacrifice others what i think is interesting is i think it's also a challenging idea for Americans and i've been interested to see how few Americans are willing to ask those questions of themselves because it's like oh we're watching a monster movie with a bunch of Japanese people this doesn't have to do with me but we as a culture still valorize sacrifices like that's the ultimate thing the ultimate thing isn't to spend your life trying to make the world better the ultimate thing is just to just die sometime and hopefully that time matters it's almost like all of us should just be sacrificing ourselves all the time and hopefully the outcome of that sacrifice will be something good but not like actually living and thriving and 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 let's be clear it's not just about sacrifice in the sense of um just death right like it's about choosing life as an idea which i think is is really interesting in a it's such a movie with a movie with such a focus on the military yeah and even like in the context of a monster movie it's an interesting sort of uh uh take on on all that stuff i really found that interesting um and just really encouraging just really like kind of life-giving honestly like i got really emotional at yeah. that decision and what's funny is i've talked to a few people now who like didn't like the end who like overall liked the movie but thought the end was like well eh, they kind of pulled their punch on that or some shit and I'm like, the punch is the choosing life. That's the punch. Yeah. Pulling the punch would be giving you the same bullshit you see in every other movie. Anyway, I don't want to get on a whole rant. We've man, already seen. I mean, here's
1: the thing. We've already seen the noble, the, the, the noble sacrifice of the scientists to destroy Godzilla. You cannot top Sarazawa going down there with the fucking auction to in the first one. You can't. That is like, it's like why, what's his face? Um, Neil Marshall and dog soldiers didn't show the werewolves transform- transforming. Rick Baker beat him to the finish line. Just accept that. Like, people need to... There is no way... There is no way sacrifice would have fit in with the theme of this movie. It would have been like a fucking... Stick out like a sore thumb. I'm only sad that we didn't see our gentle friend Mothra. I almost said Mothma. My Mothma. Our gentle, benevolent protector Mothra. Flutter through the skies. Singing her her tune. Well,
0: I think what this movie is sort of does too that's different than a lot of my favorite godzilla movies is that it's about the people you know like in a lot of godzilla movies i wouldn't say that first one really though there's a bit of it but a lot of ones that i otherwise think are really fun you have to admit that the humans or let's not trust humans even the non-monster characters don't fucking matter and you're there for the monsters And the human drama sucks. The alien drama, if there's that, oftentimes sucks. There's just not a lot to that plot that's that compelling. Um, And I wouldn't say that's all of them, but in a lot of them, that's the case. And this was one where, while I also think it'd be cool to see this kind of brutality in a multiple monster movie, right? Yeah. I think it was about the people in a way that a Godzilla movie hasn't been in a while. And I thought that was really interesting. A um, uh, couple of things I want to mention about this. like We've already said, like it's an amazing movie. It's super well-directed, uh, really impressive. This was a $15 million movie. Yes. And I, I bring we- that up because a few people have mentioned that the CGI is maybe not their favorite. And I'll be honest, I can't agree with that. There were parts where I was like, ooh, it looks a little rough. But now that I know it's for $15 million, no part of this movie looks like $15 million. There's no, no, this whole movie, this, you could hold this up to a lot of 50 to a hundred million dollar movies and say, this looks better than that. You know, I, I, I get it. There's a couple moments. Maybe there's some herky jerky things. Maybe there's some backgrounds that don't look totally fluid to you. I totally get it. For me though, I'm so just watching Godzilla that like the, the, the exposed stitches of different cgi moments they didn't really affect me man i just was so impressed with what was going on you know and
1: it's also just like cut me a fucking break this is a this is a franchise that its fan base celebrates the fact that you can see the fucking zippers like it's the whole thing now what they showed they in the trailer for um godzilla x kong which sounds like an amazing japanese straight edge band (laughs) um how like godzilla has like pink fins and he's like running and it's like. They're like, oh, that's so unrealistic. It's like, cut me a fucking break. Have you seen, like, what is it? Destroy All, not Destroy All Monsters. It's the one with, with Jet Jaguar and, and King Caesar. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you know the fucking gif where he, like, literally flies, like, vertically. Like,
0: the whole He's point- been doing martial arts for multiple movies. You know what I mean? Like, He
1: literally has a son. Right. <laughs> You know, like he has a kid two different fucking timelines. What's, and he's friends with a giant mom.
0: What's the movie where they're both dancing too? Him and his son are doing a weird little dance. Uh
1: I believe that's Son of Godzilla, which is one of the worst movies. I don't want to talk about his fucking kid. I hate I hate I hate his first son. His second son I'm okay with, but that first one, if you've been following me on Instagram and you're like, Why is Justin posting pictures of Godzilla's son in the middle of the night? It's because I'm fucking rage posting. I hate Is
0: him. is the son Godzuki or is that no, the son of his Kart? God damn it. I don't know which one's which. I don't know. They're I mean, two different things. Look. All I'm saying is this. Is it I I got a side note. I love that Godzilla is like there's a number of things you can be interested in that I've seen a lot of and I still don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. Like, you know like Godzilla is like um <coughs> Jackie Chan movies. Like everyone's seen like 10 Jackie Chan movies and they're like, "Oh yeah, I know Jackie Chan." And you're like, "Motherfucker, there's like 100 movies. Like you don't know oh yeah. shit." You know, or like Uh, For me, it was before me and Doug started the podcast about it. It was uh, Polizia Tetschi films, you know, these Euro crime movies. I was like, I've seen a few. I, I get it. And it's like, so far, we've covered only one movie that I had seen before. Like, every movie we cover, it's like another movie I don't know anything about. And I think that's the thing with Godzilla movies. It's like, chances are, if you're complaining about a legendary production not being realistic, then you don't know the Toho movies, let alone, you know what I mean? Like... It, 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 there's so many Godzilla films and they go so many utterly insane places. They're predicated on,
1: on not looking real. That's their whole fucking thing is that they look grotesque and fat and like, and, and, and like
0: <sighs> but I do understand this is something you don't have that I understand which is that there are some people who prefer the model work to the CGI and so when the CGI is obvious they get frustrated and i'm okay with that i'm not trying to make anyone feel bad what i'm telling them is this movie costs 15 million dollars you could do models of this shit for 15 million dollars right like i get that that sounds like a lot of money but in filmmaking that is no money this movie was you know uh, for for a movie put out by an actual studio which toho is this is basically an indie film like what the fuck it's crazy to me for something of this scale and again I'm not saying there weren't moments where maybe I noticed a little bit visually was off, but I was so wrapped up in it, I didn't fucking care. It's 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 so compelling. Anyways, uh, we, we could go on and on about it, but Godzilla Minus One, it's a big recommend. Fantastic. I also just want to mention really quick, I returned to a comic series that I hadn't read for a while, but <clears throat> it's been collected in trades, so I'm trying to catch up with it. It's a, actually a Kirkman series that people don't talk about as much called Oblivion Song. Have you ever read this?
1: I haven't read it, but I know... I've it's heard of
0: it. I read the first uh, like year, you know, there's, you know, you could almost break the story up into the different years of the story, you know? Yeah. So I read a bunch of it up to this big sort of reveal. And so when I saw that it was collected in trades, I was like, Oh, I'll grab some of these trades. And every trade I feel like ends in like a big reveal of something or a cliffhanger of some kind. So like I'm on book six and I'm like, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Like I'm so <laughs> wrapped up in this fucking thing and uh, I got to recommend it. It's very sci-fi, uh, but it is the sort of sci-fi that very easily bleeds into horror, you know? Um, yeah. And so I recommend it. It. I think partly I wanted to check it out because that show that I recommended to you last time, uh, Scavenger's Rain was reminding me of this comic a little bit. So anyways, that's it for me, Justin. How about you? Um,
1: I've done I've watched a ton of shit, as I often do. Um the only things I really want to talk about. I watched a movie on Shudder called Night of the Hunted, which was very good. Um I watched It's a Wonderful Knife on Prime.
0: Oh yeah, I've seen the ads for that.
1: I really liked that movie. I thought it was very sweet. Okay. Um I watched a movie on Tubi called Baby Blue. Uh it's it's free on Tubi, so go check it out. Um, <laughs> I, I only watched it because the cover is very evocative of Bill Paxton from Near Dark, but it's actually like has like a really awesome story. Um I watched a movie last night called A Creature We're Stirring on Voodoo, which has a really, really compelling story, but isn't and it it kind of like takes like a cheap, like a cheap way out at the end. Like, um remember how high tension, like the twist at the end like doesn't really work? Right. It's, it's the same thing with this. It's like, no, that, that's not... You don't know how narratives work because that can't work with the narrative that you just gave us for the last 90 minutes. Um, but a movie I did watch that I really liked is also one, Shutter, uh, The Sacrifice Game.
0: Oh, yeah, I've seen the advertisements for that too, but I don't know anything about it.
1: Um, all I'll say is that if you've talked to me about movies for 10, 15, 20 minutes or read anything I've ever written about, You've probably come across me using the phrase crackly bones and how I, I don't think it's scary. I also don't find like evil kids scary. This is a movie where it's it's rare. It's a rare example of a child being scary. And the concept of a uh, bad guy contorting themselves in an odd way is scary because when it's done well and it's done in a certain way. It's fucking creepy to look at. And this movie has it. So that's the sacrifice. And plus it it's very sweet. I liked it. It's a very sweet movie. Um, that's this the sacrifice game, on, game on, on Shudder. Um other than that, I haven't done anything. That's that's all I've done. That's everything I've done. Alright, alright. So we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about 1970 dickities. 1972's American slasher film, Silent Night, Bloody Night, also known as Night of the Full Moon and Death House, and Death House, one word.
0: We'll be right back. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was left living.
1: Ah! Uh! His hands. Somebody cut off his
0: hands. Silent Night, Bloody Night, starring Patrick O'Neill and Astrid Heron. Yeah, Butler wasn't kidding. Nobody's
1: lived here for years. Don't laugh at me. I want your ID. Some maniac escaped from Margaretville. (laughs)
0: Would you like to drive there also starring John Carradine was the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was left living. Ah! 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 Silent night, bloody night.
1: And we are back to talk about silent night, bloody night. Um, fun fact about this movie. I didn't realize that, like, it was full of, like, Warhol uh, associates. And I didn't realize that John Carradine was in it until, like, I, I Wikipedia'd after watching it. Um, my favorite thing, like, the, one of the, oh, so the thing that grabbed me about this movie was, like, the scene in the beginning with the, the guy burning... I don't think like I don't think that was like a stuntman. I think they just set yeah. somebody on fire. Yeah. I was like watch uh, that's what I texted you about where I was like yo have you watched like I was going to be like yo did they actually set a dude on fire for this movie? Cuz it looks like it doesn't look like a fucking stuntman at all.
0: I mean, I don't know, but yes, that's what it feels like.
1: Yeah. Um but I'll just say this up front the thing that got me like most about this movie that I really liked was it really captured like the drab Dickensian feeling of Christmas like an almost like Victorian style Christmas how everything is like shitty and run down um, i just thought this movie excelled at that and i think that's what pulled me in um initially before even really learning about anything in the plot line which i th- the plot was fine but i think this movie as a mood was more effective than it was as a story, if that makes any sense.
0: Well, yeah, i Yeah, you know what? It's this is going to sound like a, um, like a criticism, and I don't want it to be. But even though it's uh, not that old a mood, well, I guess that one wasn't that old either. But this reminded me of, um, I'm trying to remember the title exactly. Was it? Is it? Was it? Scream of the Mutilated or? Oh, Shriek of the Mutilator. Shriek of the Mutilator. The Bigfoot, yes, the Bigfoot the, movie. The fake Bigfoot movie. That was one that we were really frustrated with because on paper, cult, world cult and Bigfoot sounds cool, but not only was the movie kind of boring, it just wasn't cool at all, right?
1: Also, also a little racist, if I remember correctly. Oh, right. Also
0: racist, right. This movie at times has the same sort of pacing where we're just kind of meandering for some exposition without really having a point. Like why would this exposition be having happening now? And yet parts of it are so kind of strange and engaging that like, I didn't really care that it it was a little rough at times. Like some of the editing is, is kind of rough. The dialogue at times, like when, Mary Warnoff's character first encounters um, the su- what's a what's his name Webster Jeffrey Jeffrey but what was the last name I forget now. Butler Butler right 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 when uh, uh, hold on I'm looking up her character yeah so when Diane Adams first encounters Jeffrey Butler their dialogue is super weird right like it doesn't really flow and it's a little off but that was kind of fun and the reveal i mean this is just 72 so i don't worry about spoiling anything the reveal that the townspeople are all these fucking escaped mental patients so awesome and it works right because one of the weird things in the movie is like what is going on with these fucking people you know like they seem crazy and it's at first not clear that the movie knows that everyone in the movie seems crazy. In fact, like, uh, uh, one of the things about it that's kind of fun is that Mary Warnoff, who people might know as a crazy character, whether that's, like, her starring roles or, like, uh, she has a lot of smaller parts in horror movies with uh, Paul Bartel, of all people, you know? and uh, And she's had some bigger roles, too. But, you know, people will recognize her face. She tends to be somewhat unhinged in those movies you know yes so the fact that she appears to be the only normal person in this entire movie right even uh 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 the uh, the jeffrey butler character played by james patterson yeah he's our red herring Uh, side note this is a slasher movie which is crazy to say 1972 i think technically we shouldn't even say this is a slasher movie right because it's like that genre is only starting to exist like a lot of people won't even say there are slasher movies until Black Christmas in 74, right? So, like...
1: Yeah, but this has all the makeup No, I'm of a saying...
0: Slasher. This is what I'm saying. Like, this is a... To be clarify for people, too, that I think is important. This is a holiday horror film that involves a gloved killer, right? So it has all these, like, seeds of slasher, giallo, you know, all these sort of genre things. But it's also its own weird thing, like... There are a lot of tropes from slasher films that this does not have, right? It, uh, if the killer turned out to be a Bigfoot, you know, I would not have been surprised, right? <laughs> and I say that because this James Patterson character, or this uh, Jeffrey Butler character played by James Patterson, he kind of functions as the red herring, right? Yeah, He's creepy from the beginning, and you see him do fucked up stuff. At one point... It's not quite on camera, but I'm pretty sure he murders a bird for no reason. He's just kind of annoyed, so he just kills a bird. Shit like that happens the whole movie where are like, this guy's fucked. And to be fair, he is fucked, but he's not the killer. Uh,
1: No, I I was going to say, I I think that was like an interesting choice.
0: Oh, 100%. And not only that, making it so that by the time you find out who the killer is, so much insane shit has been revealed to you that there is no way you saw coming. That the reveal of the killer is like not a big deal. You're just like, yeah, of course it's that guy.
1: Sure. I literally had by like process of elimination, I was like, are we, g-? I was like, but it's the fucking guy, like that, the dude who's like narrating this, like the, the fucking father, the former owner, it's gonna be him. Like there's there's no other, cause as soon as, soon as he's like, he calls, he calls what's her face and he's like, um, he's like, tell her it's Marion. And you're like, well, you're not Marion. You clearly have a distinctively masculine voice. Right. And it's like you narrow down all the male characters and you're like, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was still cool. The idea of like the whole like um, like this guy and like the shit he did to cover up the sins he committed against his daughter and how Marion is this like weird human MacGuffin. But not really. But absolutely is somehow more pivotal to the plot than her fucking spoiler. Her son. Right. Is like, I don't, I, but the, here's the thing though. Here's, here's my only problem with it. I don't know if that was like, let's just throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what sticks, or if those were all like distinctive choices to tell a very specific story. I mean, okay.
0: I think that is a, I, in my opinion, that is a distinction without a real difference because i think they were trying to tell a real story but they got there by just fucking cycling through things okay uh uh, uh insane asylum pedophile uh hidden murder you know like just yeah, trying yeah. to figure out like what are some like, cuz this is one of those movies too where you don't see this as much anymore but this movie might be the first in a long line of movies in which a very specific trauma is not just a source of horror for the audience, but it is the thing that, like, fucks everybody up. And in this movie, we have multiple severely traumatized characters who then we think might be the 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 one. And it turns out they're not the one, but there's no less fucking weird, right? Like, they all have their own shit going on. And this movie's like late in that, like everything is about torture and uh, you know, of a psychological variety and about mistreatment and abuse and everything is like all this horror is happening because of um, the bad decisions of a few people and the impact of those decisions on the psyches of others. And like, that's a little less palpable in a lot of newer movies. In this movie, it's like that's what the movie's about. The axe chopping doesn't fucking matter. Like, I think I really do think like the the way this script is done, you're meant to be more horrified by the abuse and the insane asylum and all that stuff than yes. when like the couple just gets chopped with an axe. You're like, oh, all right, they that got ha- chopped, no big deal.
1: That happens so early on mm-hmm. and it there's so little. There's so little time dedicated to really, like, those people you just don't get, like, it's not that they're red shirts, it's just, like, it's almost like, okay, they died, like, their deaths were there so we could further this story of, like, there's this house of secrets, and there's the sins of the past are coming back, and, like, but it was, like, I don't know, it felt almost like, like, by the time there was the big reveal, I was, like, Oh, yeah. Two people were chopped to pieces to being at the beginning of this movie. I completely forgot about that because I was so fucking wrapped up in this story of like incest and 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 child abuse and like um, institutional torture and all the shit that was going on in this house that by the time it all unfolds, it's like you've already it. It's like those people dying. It was just like, yeah, yeah, I remember them. Like, what were their names? Like, I don't know. It was just a neat thing.
0: It's also worth mentioning that this cast is made up of a lot of people from the factory, from Andy Warhol's factory. Yes. I knew that about Mary Warnoff, but I didn't realize how many people from from the factory were in this movie. We've got Andine. We've got Candy Darling. We've got Kristen Steen, Tally Brown, Lewis Love, Jack Smith, uh, Susan uh, Rothenberg. uh, And then Mary Warnoff at the time was married to the director, uh, Theodore uh, Gershany, who I don't know. I, I looked at his profile and I didn't really recognize a lot of stuff he did other than episodes of uh, Tales from the Dark Side. I, you know who I wish was in this movie?
1: Who? Nico. I wish Nico was in this. Because <laughs> she would have been like, Marianne, Silent Night, Bloody Night.
0: I thought you were going to say um, Udo Kier would have also been. Dude, a, you a young Udo Kier would have been perfect in this. Mm-hmm,
1: but mm-hmm. yeah, it's... <laughs> Specifically, just so we're on the same page, specifically uh Blood for Dracula, Udo Gear. Sure, right, yes. Okay, yeah, okay. Not blade Udo Gear. No, not Blade Udo Gear. <laughs> um, no, I mean I, I I also am not usually crazy on like exposition heavy sequences, but the scene where like there's like the voiceover of uh Dr. Dr. Butler, or what's his name? Yeah, Dr. Butler, when he's, like, and then these men have appetites they can't resist, so I brought them here. And he's, like, showing, it's, like, this really, like, it was this really weird, almost, like, Kubrickian scene of these, like, men and women engaging in this, like, decadent feasting. And, like, I mean, whatever, they're just getting drunk. It's not, like, they're, like, fucking a horse or something like that. But we're supposed to, like, it's, it insinuates that, like, these people were people that were, like, engaging of, like, the pleasures of the flesh. And then, like, he gets them all fucked up and, like, drunk and then he like lets everyone out of the asylum again i normally i'm not keen on like shit that's like so like here's this and here's that and you know it just tells you um i thought that was really effective and i thought it was really scary agreed uh there there there's something about it that was like uh for the time kind of reminded me almost of like um I don't know why this came to mind, but like Jacob's ladder, like it had this like weird nightmare logic.
0: I mean, I do think that the whole way that that sequence is done with the weird sepia tone and yes. with the way that he's kind of like regretfully telling the story. And it's worth noting that like, he feels regret about letting loose these patients who then slaughter these people. But also, he only feels a little bit of regret about putting his daughter in this facility in the first place, and he never expects regret about raping his daughter, right?
1: Like, no, that's a little fucked up, and I'm glad you brought it up, because <laughs> I was like, did I miss something? Like,
0: no, 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 no. I think that's part of the point of the movie, is that like he is slowly revealing himself to us to be a monster, right? And at first, we don't necessarily see that or understand that about him. Um, and as time wears on, it becomes clear. I do love the idea, too, that, like, when he mentions his daughter's name, all these former patients of the hospital, who, again, let's be clear, it's not obvious that they necessarily have anything wrong with them, right? Like, this, this is a time where people were put into these facilities for any reason, and their response to them could have easily just been based out of the torture that they were being put through right like he really suggests that the people who are running this facility are having a lot of fun with these patients right um but they hear his daughter's name and it's almost like they know like oh man remember when we were killing all those people and then we killed that one girl by mistake oopsie maybe now we're gonna have to pay for that shit now you know what i mean like so there's just nothing about that that I, i don't know again i get it there're going to be people who i saw some reviews of this thing where people were fucking bummed like one star reviews who were like is this even a movie sort of bullshit right okay i get it it's not everyone's cup of tea but if you like strange stuff that doesn't necessarily have a uh, a dynamic plot <laughs> that doesn't have a lot of tension but it's just weird enough to like suck you in and be really compelling. That's what this was for me. I was fascinated and I wanted to know what was going to happen. And even though there are parts that are really obvious, there's also a lot of twists and turns that I was fucking surprised by. And I, that, that was nice as well. You know,
1: another thing I'll give this movie credit for, it's a Christmas themed horror movie with a very punny title, but it doesn't rely on like gimmicks. Like, there's no, no one gets stabbed with a candy cane. No one, you know what I mean? There's none of that. It is simply a horror movie that takes place at Christmas. And I appreciate
0: that. I also read, uh, according to IMDb, the working title of this thing was Zora, which I think is really funny because there's no connection to that name anywhere in the movie whatsoever. It's just like a name that they were using or something. So um, whether you want to go with... uh, you know, Silent Night, Bloody Night, or Death House, there's a, you know, those all kind of fit the vibe. But other than just, you know, a sense of homecoming at Christmas, you know, that's, yes. I think, a thematic thing. Otherwise, this has nothing to do with Christmas. And that's no disrespect to the goat for me. The two, the two when it comes to holiday horror, which are Black Christmas and Christmas Evil, those are my, yes. still my two favorite uh, holiday horror movies. Um, and they very much rely on the gimmick to some extent. Both. Of
1: them. Uh, I mean, they, they, they have they, aspects of it. They do. But this also like I watched. Last night, Christmas Evil and the other night, Carly went and saw Black Christmas. We were talking about these movies and how like. Black Christmas is so fucking upsetting and the upsetting thing has nothing to do with Christmas.
0: No. Yeah, that's fair. It's so
1: insanely upsetting.
0: I got to say, I do wonder, because this was a pretty popular movie at the time. It's hard for us to understand because once it left the drive-ins in the 70s, this movie kind of fell out. Like People didn't know about it. But it was pretty popular in 72 when it came out. Do we think the phone call thing influenced Black Christmas at all? No, I don't think so. Well, eh. Maybe, it's hard but, for me to say, man. I but, this is my thing. I don't. I know it's. It you could say it's a slasher. I would accept someone saying this isn't a slasher, but that it influenced slashers afterwards. I would because, call it. A, I know. would
1: call it a proto slasher.
0: Sure. Yeah. Exactly. So I do wonder if if some aspects of this movie. Again, it's hard for me to say it because as far as I know, this movie's like came out of nowhere. Like no one's talking about this movie. It's like not something you I hear about a lot. Whatever, but. From what I understand, while it was playing in drive-ins, people knew about this movie. It it had some amount of, you know, uh, cachet, let's say.
1: Interesting. Would you say this movie is to the slasher what uh, the Stooges were to punk? (laughs) He he he.
0: Wasn't that in a review that I sent you? And I I don't even remember what it was.
1: Oh, I don't know. I mean, it may have been.
0: I think so. I think a friend of mine said, like, But I think he said that the Stooges would have been Black Christmas. And he said this was some band who I had never even heard of that influenced the 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 Stooges. Yeah. Was that at the Monks or something like that? I don't
1: know. They're just another band that gets like thrown around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But
0: anyways, I, you know, if this is the movie that had to had to crawl so Black Christmas could run, you know, uh, that's fine by me. And again, I think it's worth watching for itself. It's just you're not going to get. You know, Black Christmas is a fucking masterpiece. I don't care what people say. Like, you know, I, I guess it's weird to call horror movies masterpieces for no, some it's people,
1: not. but you do a horror podcast, of course, it's not weird.
0: Well, but I know, but like, and and uh, I guess what I mean to say is, I love a lot of horror movies that are not amazing pieces of filmmaking. Okay. You know, they're just effective spooky movies. Uh, I don't think that's what Black Christmas is. Just it is an effective piece of spooky filmmaking. But it's so good that I think it's it's a piece of art. You know what I mean? Like, I think even if you think horror movies are kind of dumb, if you can watch Black Christmas and not admit that that is a pretty stellar film, then I don't know how to communicate with you about films. You know what I mean? Yeah,
1: no, I'm with you. This, I'll, I'll is, not,
0: this is not that. This is a mess. And yet it is a charming, fascinating mess. So if you already know you're into this thing, you know, you want to see a holiday proto slasher get on with this thing. I think you're going to find it really satisfying and really interesting and really pushes a lot of weird boundaries in a way for 1972, but uh, you know, without ever really becoming shocking really. I mean, maybe somebody found it shocking when it came out, but for the modern audience, there's nothing in this movie that's particularly shocking. I
1: I mean, it's kind of unset. The guy burning alive, I I was kind of (laughs) like, I hope no one from OSHA saw all that, but like, um, Oh, also, do you know who co-produced this movie? Who? Lloyd Kaufman.
0: Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's the other thing we didn't mention. This was the first release of Canon Film Group, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Now, this is pre Golden Globus, which is something people forget, that Canon existed before the brothers. Were they brothers or cousins? I think they were brothers. I think Bef- they
1: were father and son.
0: Oh, that
1: makes more sense. Yes, before, before the visionaries. Before yes. the visionaries took over. Yeah,
0: they were a company before that. So I think sometimes when folks see canon, they assume we're talking about classic, you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. it's, not, it's not that. That's not what it is. But this was the first thing they put out, which I think is interesting, you know?
1: Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. and we come back, we're going to talk about 1995's El Dio de la Bestia, The Day of the Beast. We'll be right back. Padre. Quiero confesarme. Dime lo que has hecho,
0: hijo. Nada, padre. No he pecado, pero voy a pecar. Voy a hacer todo el mal que pueda. Necesito que me ayude a contactar con el demonio. Millones
1: de chinitoías que están viendo este puto programa. El
0: fin del mundo es esta noche. ¿Entienden? Esta misma
1: noche. And we are back to talk about 1995s. I'm not going to say it in Spanish again because my accent's terrible. The Day of the Beast. This movie was amazing. This movie. <laughs> Had you heard? So of, did you know fun. about this? Did you know about I this had, ahead of time? I had no idea what this movie was before I watched it. I had never heard of it. I had, I had no idea this movie. I hadn't even seen the poster. It wasn't even one of those. This movie was not on my radar at all, and I was watching it, and I was like, holy fuck, this is such a fantastic movie. It's so ridiculous without winking and nodding at the camera, and without being ridiculous, which is, might sound like it doesn't make sense, but it does if you've seen it. Um... I don't know. I it's just it's it's just so much fucking fun and it's so it's just so good. Yeah. Have you had you seen this movie before?
0: You know, I had, uh, but I didn't remember a lot about it. I just knew it was a, a, a movie that involved a lot of Satan stuff. Yeah, uh, but I hadn't really thought about it as a holiday horror movie. And it was only recently that I, I read that and thought, oh, that's interesting. I should keep that in mind. And I was glad that we chose it for this because I hadn't gotten a chance to rewatch it in a long time. And I got to say, I had a positive memory of it, but I it didn't stick with me at the time. And I don't know why, because this is a very charming movie. Yes. It's very funny. I wonder if maybe I, when I first saw it, it was just like a Netflix thing where I wasn't paying enough attention to it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um. And I think there's a lot to it in the sense of uh, A, one of the things about it that I think is worth paying attention to is that outside of the invocation scene, right? There's a scene where it's also, this is the sort of movie where it's hard to explain the plot to someone, even though it's basically like a priest is trying to stop the apocalypse. So much shit happens along the way that tried to explain Everything that happens to get him to this invocation scene is crazy. They'll think
1: you had a stroke if you try to explain it's, this movie.
0: It's so much shit is going on, but the, you know the basic idea is he needs to reach a certain level of of sinfulness so he can communicate with the devil because he's obsessed with the idea that the antichrist is going to be born on this particular Christmas in 1995, and so he's doing everything he can to stop this, including trying to communicate with the devil. And they do this invocation scene, and what's important to remember is that. Nothing that happens before this invocation scene confirms for us that this man is not an insane person or, yes. or, or just a sincere person who's wrong. Yeah. Then this invocation scene happens and a goat shows up and growls at him. So I think I like that, that. Is, that uh, is confirmation that there is a devil, that that is you, the devil right there.
1: You, but, forgot, you forgot a very crucial aspect of that scene. Mm. The goat shows up, stands up on its fucking hind legs. Yes. And growls
0: at him. (laughs) And growls at him.
1: I didn't like that. And then they find a,
0: they find a, they burned a piece of paper and they find a message in the paper that just says, this is not a game, which is like, that's what I would, that's what I would stop. The devil
1: is throwing the gauntlet down. And my man, father Engel Balertua said, fuck that. I'm going to
0: keep keying people's cars until I find the devil. And then a bunch of shit happens after that. And I think it's important. And maybe you didn't feel this way, but I felt this way technically speaking we have no confirmation after the 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 goat leaves that any of this other stuff is really happening the way they see it either like in reality it's very entirely possible that while on this insane quest they just ran into these rich fascist people right-wing assholes who are by the way, haunting the whole movie, but you don't know you're supposed to be paying attention to the signs, right? Yep. You see that cleaning up Madrid.
1: I picked up on that. Yeah, that, thing was, that was everywhere. That was fascinating.
0: And so, like, they basically are sort of suggesting this thing. And for those of you who don't know, it happens here too, but I think it's a little more obvious in Europe post World War II that occasionally these street groups rise up that are like, Fascism revivalists, you know, and one of the easy targets for them, outside of the obvious ones, which is, you know, people of color, Jewish people, uh, queer folks. Another group that you can go after is people who are living on the streets, right? That they assault. And this happens all the time. And there are people who assault folks who are living on the streets for for funsies. And maybe this is a combo of both, but this is a group that is doing it in the movie for like a right wing purpose. They are cleaning Madrid. One interpretation of this movie is that they just run into these assholes. The priest hallucinates all this religious stuff, but they manage to, you know, get away with their lives after killing these fucking jerk offs and a baby. Well, they didn't kill the baby though, right? The uh, no,
1: they. I'm pretty sure they shot the baby.
0: No, no, no. The fascists killed the baby.
1: Oh yes, yes. Our
0: heroes killed the fascists and got away after that. But were those fascists? actually manifestations of the devil or was the priest losing his fucking mind the film i don't think actually concretely answers that question for you but it doesn't matter right because it's already made a decision where you're put in a scenario where everything about the movie is telling you the priest is about to walk into this you know urban decay place where there are is a as a homeless family sleeping right and the priest is going to murder a baby and at that moment i'm like wait, Uh, I'm into fulfilling a bit here, but if he shoots that baby, I might not be into this movie as much as I think I am. And of course he doesn't, right? Because who shows up? These fascist assholes. And suddenly the priest perceives that these fascist assholes are actually the rebirth of evil and not some poor child born outside on Christmas, right? And I got to say, That is a very specific political take. And I'm sure there are people who watch this movie and didn't pick up on that. But like, you know, Spain has been kind of stoked on Franco ever since Franco died. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was going to say there's a it doesn't have the best track.
1: Like Germany often gets like, obviously, for, you know, when it comes. to But Spain has its moments, too. Let's not forget that.
0: Well, not to say that there isn't also a radical tradition in Spain. I mean, like I said, there was a civil, that's what the Spanish Civil War is, you know, is the, mm-hmm. the leftists of various forms against, uh, against Franco, right? And so, like, I, I want to respect that too. But I think if you just observe some of the news features of the last 30 years in Spain, you will occasionally see the rise of various right wing groups. And this is now currently an even bigger thing across Europe than it has been in the past, but it's always been an element. So for the director of this movie to say, oh, the ultimate evil is not the devil being born in some baby. It's a bunch of rich fucks who get their jollies from hurting poor people. That can't be a neutral decision, right? Just like, this is a, in the end, somewhat of a political film, I think.
1: Uh, Yeah. Because especially when, when, when father, um, we'll just call him father angel. When father angel first gets to Madrid, we the things he does to show us that he is evil he is cruel to the vulnerable he tells he tells a diamond you're going to go to hell when you die um he steals from this guy he steals from the homeless like it there's a point in showing that it's like i think the only thing he does that's like not an act of cruelty towards like a vulnerable group of people is when he keys the cars everything else it's specific acts towards groups of people that were like oh you shouldn't that's fucked up man
0: don't do that like don't it's very telling that he doesn't just fuck and drink right
1: yes like he, he commits acts that he doesn't commit immoral acts and like he's not like oh i'm committing acts in the eyes he's he's hurting his fellow man is what we're trying to say
0: right he does things that are i mean to be fair that i think even people who aren't christian or aren't that aren't Dealing with that sort of morality would still see her as bad things. If this is a movie about a priest that decides he wants to meet the devil. So he just starts fucking. I think a lot of people who aren't particularly religious would be like, wait, what is this movie about? Because like, so now he enjoys himself. What's the problem, right? This is a movie that's very clear. Like, no, he's going to be mean. And then he sees the manifestation of evil in these dudes who like, Whoever costume designed this thing, they were literally like, all right, take skinheads and smush them up with uh, prick yuppies. Yeah. And these are the most yuppie skinhead slash skinhead yuppies I've ever seen in my life. But that's what they are. They hurt poor people to make a point. And that's who, in the end, what he does to save the world is kill these dickheads. Now, yeah. did he actually save the world? Who knows, man? It doesn't matter. It's not important. The, the point is, is that he... He was on a journey, and he realized something. And for me, the way that the movie is uninterested in solving that problem for you, you know? Like, the goat was there. I really believe, within the logic of the movie, the goat is there. But who knows? Everything after that is a fucking... Who knows? There's never... Even when he sees these things, he could be hallucinating, right? There's no... There's not the same sort of independent confirmation. He doesn't even get confirmation that his fellow travelers see these things. He sees them. We see what he sees. But the metal dude never says, I'm being held by a giant demon, right? Yeah, yeah. The the TV guy never goes, hey, what's that goat doing over there? <laughs> these are just things that the priest sees in this situation. Yeah, And he really, like, in other words... It's like he turns a corner at the end where he sees the evil present in front of him and worrying about the possibility of a magic baby being born is maybe not that important. Maybe, in fact, spending his whole life trying to add up the words of the Book of Revelation was actually a waste of fucking time in the first place, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, and they kind of hinted at that in the very beginning, too. Yeah, yeah, totally. And so, like, I really was like, what's funny to me about this movie is that It is a silly, hilarious, irreverent movie where, by the way, a priest, we haven't quite said this, he kills some people. Some people are dead because of this guy, right? Like he's not like a nice guy per se. Like he definitely pushes this I need to sin thing pretty far. And yet. I still think it's a little bit of a message movie, which I kind of like in a movie set on Christmas. Like I just, yeah. there's a part of me that was like, okay, I think I kind of fucking love this movie. Honestly.
1: I absolutely, I was, I was in with this movie. The moment the dude set, set the, the moment the guy sets foot in the record store. And then the moment from then on, I was like, okay, he's in a record store. There's all these cool records I'm seeing. At least this movie has that going. And then like, when he's up, when he when he when he's like shoplifting and he's trying to explain to like the, the owner of the of of the store like I am trying to meet the devil. I have to do as much awful shit as like like did you ever read um did you ever read oh god what's it called? Um I did a, a retrospective on this guy's books. There's a a British author named Brian Lumley. Um he was big in like the like the Neo Lovecraftian new Cthulhu uh circle back in the seventies and eighties. And he wrote this book that was about one of his characters, who's like a detective, fighting these, this group of aliens who were like theologians on their home planet. And they had decided that, they were like, we have to meet God. And in order to meet God, we are going to be so fucking evil that God himself will manifest in front of us to stop us. And we're going to keep doing evil shit until he does it. Because he's not real and he's not going to stop us. And we're doing this to prove... To the fucking universe, that there is no divine um guidance. I just think there's something so fascinating about doing evil to try and like prove a point, like a theological point. Like it's also like vaguely Clive Barkery, too. Like, wasn't there a story that Clive Barker wrote where a guy like Yes. Uh it was the one, it was it's I think it's called like Satan Rose Up or something like that, where this guy is like desperate to meet the devil so he just makes this like temple full of like horrifying shit and then you know lo and behold he is the devil um i just think that's such a fascinating idea like trying to do as much evil shit as possible to contact some sort of like higher deity um and also what makes it extra charming is having no idea how to be evil so asking how to be evil along the way is also fucking adorable uh i don't know i just i just really like this movie because it was it just had this like Really cool concept behind it, and then it was so earnest and straight faced that it just becomes silly. And yeah, like you said, there's also a really neat message behind
0: it. Yeah, and not—I don't want to make it sound like it's um pandering or something like that, but just like you know, when you're making a movie, even a silly movie, which this movie is essentially silly, even though it is a horror movie, it is a comedy, and and parts of it are really fucking funny. Yeah, but even if you're making a silly movie about evil and good, however you want to conceive of those ideas, you are making judgments, right? Because yes. you have to represent these things. And there are some very Catholic decisions in this movie as to what, you know, even when they do the, the ceremony and it's got to be the blood of a virgin and the host and then the fact that this goat shows up, like there are so many things about the decisions that are made that are influenced by like one particular view But I think the movie ultimately subverts a lot of that in the decisions that it makes. And in doing that, it's doing something that's interesting because I think with a lot of art, it is, I I don't want to say easier because that's not fair either, but it's hard to make a movie where you are making decisions about the representation of good and evil without having it come across like a morality play, right? Yes. Without having it come across like, heavy-handed you know this is why christian art is often so bad like contemporary christian art i think historically there were there have been artists who were religious who did good art whatever but contemporary theology among the popular masses is so fucking shallow that the art inevitably is just it's not even propaganda right because as people who listen to hardcore, we know propaganda can even be good sometimes, right? Yeah. Like you can even do propaganda artfully. This religious media, it's not even propaganda, just that it's propaganda. It's like the most ham-fisted, low-brow version of propaganda in which you're only doing art because if you just tell someone, shut up and do what I say, that doesn't seem as effective. So you have to do something else. So we're just going to, I don't know, make a movie or whatever. You know what we're, I mean? Or, we're gonna make or, or write the a machines. record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, hey, sure, the cheese is pretty good. Uh, I'm not saying it's not. I'm just <laughs> yeah, saying yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, 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 I think inevitably art that is ambiguous about the nature of you know maybe good and evil's too religious for people but that is morally ambiguous that isn't sure what the right thing is is very interesting right but the fact that this movie seems to have a perspective on the world but comes at it in a way that doesn't feel like you're being taught at and in in a sense even comes at it ambiguously about the nature of the universe right because yeah the movie never fully confirms exactly what the fuck is going on with this priest but that's to the best right because it'll let people who are maybe not ready to see another layer to it just sort of watch it and be like oh okay that's fun and funny and whatever uh but i think the movie ultimately is kind of saying like hey what actually matters here anyway right like what is actually at stake with people and i found that really interesting while still finding the whole thing fucking fun i mean part of this is the performance of the the i don't have his name in front of me I don't know if you have it. The guy who's playing the metalhead in the movie. Uh, that would be. Uh,
1: but, but, but Santiago Segura.
0: He. Don't me wrong. A lot of it rides on the priest. The priest is great. I like the TV show host guy because he he's an yeah. asshole when he needs to be. But when he makes the change to being on their side, you believe it like he sells it like you. He really is with them. But. uh Santiago Segura here, he's fucking, he's got a, a thankless role because he's sort of, you have to believe that he trusts this priest somewhat implicitly, and you have to believe that he's saying some of the dumbest lines in history with conviction, and, and he, sells, he fucking sells it. Not only does he sell that, when the big reveal happens and they know the devil is real, he gets kind of suicidal, right? And in one sense, this is a silly scene a la, uh, uh, I was thinking of like a silent film, right? Like a, you know, Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin, you know, we're hanging off the side of the building sort of deal. But also this moment, which is, you know, thrilling and funny is happening because this guy has given up. And I also believe that, like, it didn't feel like, oh, right, whatever. He's very much like, okay, well, we just saw the devil. So... I don't know. I guess I'm just going to kill myself. Like he just has no reason to keep going.
1: He has fully embraced the absurdity of his situation. Right. Which I can appreciate.
0: Yeah. He he has met a priest and an online TV host and they conjured the actual devil. And now they're (laughs) running away. And he's just like, I don't know, maybe I'm just done. And then even after that, he is back committed to helping this priest, but he's turned it into the most. I mean, there are moments in this movie that reminded me of like a fucking, not in that level of action, but in the level of threatening the public, a John Woo movie. He's running around with a shotgun and shit, just firing and whatever. It's very much like a, you know, fuck the public. We're just doing whatever whatever we want uh, sort of thing. And, and it kind of coincided with his the feeling of him having already given up on everything, you know?
1: You know what rules about that guy? And I couldn't place what I know him from. Mm-hmm. He's been in a boatload of Del Toro films. His most
0: oh uh, sure
1: the movie the the movie you would probably know him best from he was the fucking vampire that Wesley Snipes beats the shit out of in the beginning and end of uh, Blade Two.
0: Right. Yes, I totally remember that now. That's funny. Uh, I don't know if this is real or not, but the first trivia on IMDb says during shooting, the crew and specifically Alex De La Iglesia, received various death threats from so-called Satanist groups.
1: I hope that's true. The I kind of want that to be true. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um. I mean, come on. I I don't know why anyone would see see this as funny. Fucking the paper that says Napalm Des. Come on. Yeah. Like, and it's also with another when it comes to like the 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 the
1: the, the cultural research they did for this movie. Like, obviously they're like, okay, heavy metal is made by the devil. That's evil music. They went to obviously a real record store. They obviously had real records there but then the music they like how much would it have been like how much would it have cost this is fucking 1995 how much money would you have had to give morbid angel Like, can we use one of your songs in a fucking movie or you know what i mean like some fucking band that was on earache and instead just made this like shitty like he's like here check this tape out this is the most evil music ever and it is literally sounds like i made it in 10 minutes on garage band but it works it's fucking funny because we're supposed to believe that this like Juvenile shit is like, no, this is like really like, and you know, there were people who were like, man, that is evil. Like, just civilians who were like, that is scary, man. That's that's fucked up.
0: Uh, I, I, part of what makes it work for me is that outside of the ritual that they do, it's not clear that anything else this priest is doing really like, whether he's going to the heavy metal concert or he's. You know, stealing money at it from this homeless man. It's not clear that any of these things are actually achieving what he wants. You know what no. I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I I love that decision in the movie. Um, also, the character uh that we're that we're talking about, um uh Jose Maria, his mom also was a great character. Oh, she's fantastic. Yeah,
1: she just fucking elbows him in the face for speaking out of turn. So good. Yeah.
0: Well uh i don't not sure what else to say about this other than i'm glad i've you know i returned to it because for whatever reason i you know i had a vague memory of it but it really played for me this time in a way that the first time i saw it i i just didn't kind of remember much about it so i'm glad we did it and i think it's really should be come back to as like a holiday horror movie because i think it really oh, yeah. works for the holiday
1: absolutely yeah it's a it's a it's also like a, it just it's a good looking movie like the scene at the end where they go to the gate of europe like it, that just looks fucking epic. It's, I don't know. It's just, I just really like this movie. That's what I'm trying to say. So I guess, I guess that's the episode. If you celebrate it, uh, Merry Christmas, Merry Crisis, Merry whatever. Happy Hanukkah. We're still in Hanukkah right now, right? Yeah. Um, head to www.patreon.com backslash to see how you can become a patron. Be sure to check out uh, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations and Essex Coffee Roasters at www.xlvacx.com and EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. And be sure to check out our homie Sharky at MechanicalSharkMedia.com. Until next time, um, don't forget that Christmas time is also about demanding a raise from your boss and torturing him with ghosts. Bye!
0: Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe.
1: Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! hey. hey.